I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Hey, it's me, Lars Larson. Thanks for checking out my podcast, and be sure to tell a friend about The Lars Larson Show. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, you can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it for me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. Honestly, provocative talk radio for the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And it's my pleasure to be with you. I've got a few things to say, but I want to invite your phone calls because I always try to make this more of a dialogue than a monologue any day of the week. But as you know, if you listen to the show on a regular basis, you understand I've got a point of view on things, and I like to actually share it. I want to warn you about something. The war on cars is ramping up. Now, I'll tell you that I've been talking about the war on cars for more than 25 years. And over the years, I've had so many people say, Lars, there's no war on cars. They're not trying to drive us, pun intended, out of our automobiles. And I would answer back, yes, they are. And it's becoming clearer and clearer, especially in about the last two or three years. Let me give you a list of some of those things and then tell you why we should push back and push back hard against any effort to steal the personal liberty that you enjoy because you own a private automobile. And I'll explain that. Uh, I'll make my case for that. I mean, most of us live here in the Pacific Northwest because we love the region. We love the mountains and the rivers and the beaches and the volcanoes and everything else. The problem is, Even for those who consider themselves very attuned with nature, you know, the fact is the travel distances are so great in the Pacific Northwest that if you don't have a private automobile, you may say, well, I love to live here because of all these great things like rivers and streams and forests and volcanoes. 
but you can't get to them on foot or even on a bicycle in most cases. But let me tell you what's been happening lately that has caught my attention. And first, welcome to the program. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And I'll stick to my 25-year promise that naysayers, if you disagree with me on this, you're welcome to go straight to the head of the line. Just bring your wits with you, uh, maybe a few facts, a cogent point to make. Uh, you could back it up with facts and logic if you choose to. Many Democrats and liberals prefer not to use facts and logic. They like feelings instead. But dial me up at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go first at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And vote in our Twitter poll. This one's an interesting one. Should private companies use legal means like music and things like that to drive the homeless away from their businesses? I'll give you a specific example from the Puget Sound region just a bit later. Today's Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. But as I said, I'll make the case for you that factually, the war on cars, which I've been warning you about for the last 25 years, is starting to amp up seriously. The latest data point today, Seattle has decided it is scheduled to vote today on a proposal to jack up the cost of just licensing a vehicle. They want to increase licensing for vehicles by 25%. They want to bring the total to 50 bucks. It's currently at 40 bucks. That's a $10 increase. That is a 25% increase. It would go into effect July 1st of next year. They want to bring in an extra $2 million in 2023 and then $4 million in years after that. That's one piece of it. You say, well, it's 10 bucks, Lars. Hey, listen, listen, 10 bucks here and 10 bucks there. Pretty soon you're talking about your whole paycheck. But in Seattle, they say we want to jack these costs up. You already know that car tabs are prohibitively in, uh, expensive for most people. Uh, many people are limited in what kind of car they can even own because of the cost of just registering and licensing the car. And then, of course, you've got gasoline. On January 1 of next year, so just over a month from now, Washington State's gas prices stand to go up by almost 50 cents a gallon in the year 2023. And if you said, no, 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 they've promised, Lars, it's only going to be about a nickel. Let me refer to the research of Todd Myers at Washington Policy Center. The state's new tax on CO2 emissions is projected to add 46 cents per gallon to gasoline prices next year. An estimated 56 cents per gallon is going to be added to diesel prices. And then by 2030, the new tax will add about 80 cents per gallon of gasoline. And by 2030, the new tax will add 97 cents to the cost of a gallon of diesel. And by the way, today, here's the news. OPEC may be doing another production cut. So guess what? Oil prices are not going down like Joe Biden promised they would. They're going up instead. And do you know we've actually... Joe Biden's White House has actually said it's okay for American oil companies to go to Venezuela, a dictatorship, and pump more oil there. But Joe doesn't want that done on our own soil. And that makes no sense. Now, that 46 cents a gallon, the carbon tax, is going to go on top of Washington State's almost 
50 cents a gallon. It's 49.4. So the new tax will project, the projection is it will double the cost of the taxes paid on gasoline just by people in the state of Washington. So you've got that. Then you've got Portland, which has a plan to toll freeways. And if you say, well, did you ask the voters about that? No, they didn't ask the voters about that. This is coming out of a state bureaucracy, the Oregon Department of Transportation, which I told you yesterday was already saying, hey, by the way, we've already got your money. You've already paid your taxes to us, but we're not going to have enough snowplow drivers this fall and winter. So just expect that you won't be able to go across many of the highways and the passes because we don't have enough snowplow drivers. You've already paid us your money, but we're not going to deliver the service. Well, now ODOT and Portland plan to toll the freeways. And if you say they can't toll interstate freeways, Oh, yes, they can. All they need is a sign-off from the Biden administration, which is about as anti-car as any of them. And they've actually got the temerity to hold public hearings and say, we want the public to come in and tell us about tolling. Well, everything I've heard and most of what has been said at those public hearings, we don't want tolls at all. And ODOT says, no, no, we're not asking you if you want tolls at all. We're not going to listen to that. All we want to know is how much do you want tolled? And people who say, well, hold on a second, you, you're having a public hearing, but you don't want to hear if the public says they don't want tolling on the freeways at all. You only want to hear how much and when and who should have to pay the most and whether or not there should be rebate, rebates for poor people and all that. That's why you're holding a public hearing, because you really don't want to hear from the public, because the public has said no very, very loudly. In any case, it's a Tuesday. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote my Twitter poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show. And uh, coming up in a moment, the Northwest nonsense. And I might just go full-on anarchist for you. I know. Anarchist, it's crazy. But I'm going to make the case that if nobody else is following the rules, then maybe some of us who've been following the rules our whole lives should say, if they're not going to follow the rules, then I don't have to follow the rules either. Glad to have you with me on the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say this is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. You know, it strikes me lately that if our so-called leaders don't have to follow the rules or even listen to citizens, then why should we do any differently? I realize that's a pretty anarchist idea from a guy who's been a by-the-book guy most of my life. But just a few examples. Joe Biden has no authority whatsoever to spend half a trillion dollars paying off deadbeat college loans, but he's doing it anyway. He has no legal authority. In fact, he has a well, an oath that he took to enforce, faithfully execute the laws of the United States. And yet he's allowed five million illegal aliens to invade our country now in less than two years. Oregon's Department of Transportation got an earful of testimony against tolling freeways. But ODOT plans to roll right ahead with its tax on travel. Somebody just wrote to me and said, Lars, the road less traveled, that must be the one with tolls on it. And he's absolutely right. 
Multnomah County plans a ban on flavored tobacco, the same kind of ban that was already shot down by the courts in another county, Washington County. But Multnomah County says, well, we can do it because we don't have to pay attention to the rules. Homeless camps all over the Northwest, they violate every single rule in the code book, but they're still allowed effectively. In fact, in some cases, they're even sanctioned by cities and counties, especially Portland and Seattle. And then Portland City Hall plans a vote this week to spend $27 million of your dollars on a new code-violating camp that will clear squatters off the streets at the low, low cost of just $36,000 each per year. And no, I'm not exaggerating. Lots of folks testified no to that plan. The city plans to do it anyway. Next week, the new Oregon gun buying ban goes into effect a week from this Thursday. A federal court is going to hear an emergency appeal on Friday to shut it down, but don't hold your breath. Wait until you see what the courts do and whether or not there's an appeal. So those who make the rules now break the rules. And I say if you can't beat them, then why don't we join them? Is there any good argument against that? I'd be glad to take the naysayer. On Measure 114, I got this update. There are currently, as we're standing here today, more than 28,000 people sitting in the backlog of background checks that are being done by citizens who'd like to exercise their Second Amendment rights and buy a gun. No matter what Joe Biden says, that there's no practical benefit to any semi-automatic firearm. Oregon State Police apparently caught up a little bit on Sunday. Uh, but then again, a week ago Sunday, they also caught up a bit because many of the gun stores are closed on Sundays. Today, I'm told, is going to be a busy day. Uh, the news should be talking about if there is no injunction from the federal court on Friday, Oregonians will be prohibited from buying any firearm after December the 8th. And that Measure 114 passed by 25,000 votes. But it passed in... With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Multnomah County by 169,000 votes. In other words, if you took Multnomah County out of the picture, Measure 114 would have lost by more than 100,000 votes. And then this note in our question of the day from Jim in Washington. Uh, Jim says, Lars, Pete Buttigieg is supposed to be our Secretary of Transportation, but he is inexplicably missing in action during the ongoing negotiations regarding a proposed nationwide rail workers' strike. A national rail strike would have serious economic and national security implications for the U.S. This is not the first time the little guy has pulled a disappearing act. You might recall that last year he disappeared for over two months during the transportation supply chain crisis involving movement of shipping containers from U.S. ports. It was later learned he was at home. 
taking care of a baby. And this is the guy many Democrats consider to be future presidential material. Best regards, signed Jim in Mill Creek, Washington. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. The way has been paved by trademark paving. Just pave it. Serving Southwest Washington. Well, I'm going to give today's Daily Grill to the mental hospital known as Western State Hospital. That's Washington State's mental hospital. And I'll give full and lavish credit to my friend Ari Hoffman, my fellow talker at KVI, our affiliate station in Seattle. Writing in the post-millennial, he points out, repeat offender hired by Washington State accused now of stealing from mental patients in his care. This guy by the name of Mark James, who apparently had problems on both the north and the south side of the Columbia River, he began working for Western State Hospital, Washington State's largest mental hospital, about five years ago in 2017. And get this, he was hired 13 days after he was booked into the Pierce County Jail on a fugitive warrant from Oregon, six days after he was booked into an Oregon jail on two charges of dealing heroin and other drug-related offenses. Sounds like a perfect state employee to me. A notorious Washington State psychiatric hospital knowingly hired a prolific offender who now stands accused of stealing over $5,000 from 13 mental patients that he was counseling at Western State Hospital. Well, you hire a crook, you're probably going to have a crook who's on your payroll. And today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at lawrencelarson.com. Brought to you by the MEI Group, one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Pacific Northwest. Currently hiring and paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators. TheMEIGroup.com. Paul French writes in, Lars, Twitter is growing. Non-Democrats are once again gaining a voice. Child porn and child sexploitation is being curtailed. As a result, the administration, Biden, is deeply concerned about Twitter. They say they're considering what actions to take against Twitter. If they were not corrupt, they would say, our Constitution guarantees the right to free speech, and the fact that more non-Democrats are now being given a voice on Twitter is the reality we have to deal with. We want all views to be freely expressed. Except you hear nothing like that from the Democrats, unless there's looting and burning and murdering. Then Democrats will celebrate it and remind us that we have free speech in America. The fact the average Democrat supports child porn and child sexploitation and is against free speech and as such has voted for this evil time and again, that says it all. From my vantage point, our republic is doomed, signed Paul French. To your calls now, let's start with uh, Dan. Hey, Dan, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Really appreciate your show. Well, first thing, if we're going to ban electric vehicles, right, or I mean gas vehicles. Gas vehicles. We need to, yes. We can't have any airplanes flying over that are using fossil fuels, can we? No, we can't. So we, no, so we should ban those two. And the next thing they're going to do, they're going to ban any wood stove use. They're already well on the way to that right now. The bigger metro areas of the Northwest have already said anytime it's really, really cold, which is exactly when most people would most want to be able to use a wood-fired appliance like a pellet stove or a wood stove or a fireplace, those are the times when they tell you you're not allowed to fire it up. But I'll tell you what, my answer to that is 
as soon as you start enforcing that rule on the homeless camps that on cold days always have open fires, even in places where open fires are actually prohibited, when you start enforcing the rules on them, then you can come and talk to the people who obey the laws, pay the taxes, work a job, and contribute to this community. It's a Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and it's the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and we at least attempt to serve the Pacific Northwest states, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, with honestly provocative talk. Our Twitter poll today, and I'll tell you more about the details of this. Should private companies use every legal means to drive the homeless away? I'll give you an example out of the Puget Sound region, where a very recognizable company name, uh, they're using classical music to drive the homeless away from their building at night, which seems like a sensible way to do it. If the police aren't going to do it, if uh, civil authorities like mayors and city councils and county commissions aren't going to do it, then I guess the private companies have to do what they have to do. Our Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. No, you know what the uh, civil authorities are doing? They're focusing on things on the really big issues of the day, like flavored tobacco and flavored vape products. And because of that, I brought on Richard Burke, who's executive director and spokesperson for the 21 Plus Tobacco and Vapor Retail Association. Richard, welcome back to the program. Lars, it's always great to talk to you. You know, when I was in high school, uh, you have to understand I'm pro-life, but when I was on the debate team in high school, I had to debate a pro-choice position. And I was in a debate round where the judges were nuns. And Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know. That was over. That, that that debate was over before it even began. And I haven't felt that way since until I testified last night in front of the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners. Um, they are hell-bent on passing this ban, and I can't think of anything that would be more destructive to public health that they can do or more damaging to their limited ability already to protect us uh, through law enforcement mechanisms. It was terrible. You know, I have to agree with you. And Richard, like you, I was a debater in high school and you you had to every other round when you were competing, you had to take the opposite side. You had to take the affirmative side or the negative side. It made you have to see both sides of an argument. But when you show up in front of a body like this, let's go through the nuts and bolts of this first. What is the basic idea? Because I've asked the people who are behind these bands to come on and say, explain to me, you know, what you what do you want to do? And none of them wants to do it. But So you explain for them, what is the thing they're hoping to accomplish by banning flavored tobacco, uh, including menthol tobacco, which is primarily about 85% used by black Americans. So I guess you could even accuse the Multnomah County Commission of doing something that deliberately discriminates against people of color. Um, but what, what are they hoping oh, to yeah. accomplish by doing this? Well, you know, the stated agenda is they want to keep uh, tobacco products and vaping products out of the hands of kids. That's the stated position. <clears throat> and the, the logic is simply that, well, these things are bad, so let's ban them, and then they'll be gone, and we won't have to worry about them anymore. Uh, then I think the unstated agenda is that they really want to eliminate these products for everyone, adults and children. They're just going after the kids first because, you know, it's harder to argue that point. Um, and, uh, again, they think that if they get rid of these products uh, or if they ban these products, that they'll be gone, they'll be out of society. When we know through his historically 
through uh, alcohol and drugs and everything else, that if you have a product that's easily created and that there's a demand for, a black market's always going to fill the void. And even the CDC points out that most of the harm that is created by vaping products are not by legal products or legal stores, but by illicit black market products. And if this ban passes and holds, all they're going to do is give a monopoly. To them, all they're going to do is, you know, if I'm if I'm a killer or social predator, I'm going to look at the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners and I'll say, thank you very much for granting me a monopoly on these products. We'll serve the customers' need, and your sheriff department and police departments are all going to have to fight the losing battle of trying to remove these things from society. There will be crime. There will be, uh, you know, turf battles. There will be all the problems that we have had with alcohol during prohibition and. Uh, you know, what they're going to do is give millions of dollars to killers and social predators. Well, because, you're right, because, Lars. Well, go ahead, Richard. Sorry. I was going to say you're right. This is very racist. You know, they're saying that this, uh, this will help the black community uh, and people of color. Most of these stores are owned by people of color. Most of the employees that work at these stores are people of color. And, you know, they're not banning regular cigarettes that white people uh, smoke. They're banning menthol cigarettes. So why should white people get to smoke the cigarettes they want while black people cannot smoke the cigarettes that they want to smoke? And Um, by the way, the the number I used, Richard, the number I used is a real one. It comes from the CDC, uh, at least as much as you can believe this. But I think this is a solid number. The industry says that, uh, you know, you say, oh, that's just a stereotype. No, 85 percent of menthol cigarettes sold in America are sold to black men and women. And you say it's not just a stereotype, it's actually who buys the product. So when you ban that, and that's one of the products that would be banned, then you're banning it from a specific racial group, and you know you're doing that. Yep, that's right. They are are discriminating against black people, and they're throwing people of color out of jobs. Um, And it's, it's, it's just terrible. They're... Uh, you know, I'm not saying that these things are good for you, and I'm not saying that we should encourage more people to smoke and vape, but these things are a lot less, the vapes are a lot less dangerous than cigarettes, um, and the uh, products that you can get on a regulated legal market are less dangerous than the ones that you get on the black market. And these people and, are just going to give, go ahead. By the way, about dangerous products, we have a dangerous product. C- Canada just finished a study, I'm going to talk about it in the next hour, which says that marijuana and regular use of marijuana is really dangerous when it comes to emphysema and other lung diseases. And you say, where'd you get that? Mm-hmm. A fifth, no, a 17 year study done by Canadians who, who looked at regular use of pot and regular use of tobacco. And they said, you know, pot makes tobacco look like nothing when it comes to emphysema and other lung ailments, except that tobacco was primarily sold by private companies, but sanctioned by governments who decided to make money on it. Uh, Pot is either grown on your own or it's grown with the official sanction and sign off of of state governments. And they're, you know, the pro pot crowd would like to have the federal government as well. But I'll get with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. 
You could sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at equity advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. To that later. Let me get to what I think is the key issue here. Washington County already tried to do the very same thing Multnomah County is now proposing to do. They then went to court and the judge threw it out and said, you as a county do not have the legal authority. Did I get any of that wrong? No, and that was us, by the way. Jordan Schwartz, I know. who's our uh, president, he, he's the association president. He was the chief plaintiff in that. And uh, so, yeah, the Multnomah County uh, Board of Commissioners is going against state law. Um, for the purposes of political posturing, and they're going to hurt people in the process. Well, aren't they uh, going to get thrown out, to people. too? They're not obeying the law. It's ridiculous. Aren't they going to get thrown out as soon as this goes to court? They'll get thrown Is there any meaningful difference between what Washington County tried to do and what Multnomah County is doing right now? Yep. Our attorneys tell us that they are very confident of winning against a Multnomah County ban, just there against a Washington County ban. You know, there are things we could do. We could require uh, ID for every purchase at a 21-plus store. Uh, we could have carve-outs for flavored vapes at 21-plus stores and carve-outs for menthol at stores that allow people to be under 21. There are a lot of things that we can do to uh, help keep these products out of the hands of kids. Oh, I've got a better a one than that, that would Richard. not give us the negative effects. Richard, I'll give, I'll give you a better one. It is illegal to sell tobacco to somebody who's underage. It is not yes. specifically illegal for somebody who's underage to possess the tobacco. If you said possession is illegal and say, we're not going write, to write most people up, but if a cop sees a kid smoking, walks up, says, how old are you? And the kid says, I'm underage, says, give me your cigarettes and just takes them and, and confiscates and destroys them. You want to you wipe out possession of it by kids? That's a way you could do it without spending a lot of money, without telling the police to divert their resources. That's Richard Burke. He's the executive director of the 21 Plus Tobacco and Vapor Retail Association. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network and the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. A couple of other items I want to share with you about that tobacco ban, the flavored tobacco ban that Multnomah County is considering. This is so abundantly foolish. Let me point out a couple of things. Number one, if you want more information on it, VAR, like Victor Adam Roger 21.org. Victor Adam Roger 21.org. That's the anti ban. And if you say, but I want this out of the hands of kids, I'll tell you the suggestion I'd have. Simply make possession illegal. And let me give you the comparison. If you say, it's illegal for people who are underage, under 21, to buy beer. That's true. It's also a crime if you are over 21 and you buy beer and supply it to somebody who's under 21. And then if the police find somebody who has possession of alcoholic beverages and they are not of age, possession is illegal. Now, am I suggesting that the police divert a massive amount of resources or time to possession of tobacco or possession of vaping? No, not at all. What I'm suggesting is this. 
If the legislature said, let's make possession of vaping, nicotine vaping, and also uh, tobacco products by underage people, uh, make it against the law. You say, well, do you want them to write tickets? No. I want the police to do what they usually do with an awful lot of kids who get caught with a beer or a six-pack of beer. They say, pour it out. Pour it out. Pour it out on the ground, and then it's gone. That's it. That's very simple. Does it mean you have to divert huge, massive amounts of police resources to the problem? No, you don't. And then consider this. From our flagship station, FM News 101 KXL, they did a story on Multnomah County's crazy idea of saying, let's go out and pass the same kind of measure that Washington County did that the courts threw out because counties don't have the authority. It seems to be in vogue lately that, well, we don't have the authority, but let's just do it anyway. Joe Biden does it. The Congress does it. State governors do it. They just say, we can do it until somebody challenges us in court. Consider this. Multnomah County says from January of 2018 to June of this year, so a four-year period, there were only 296 retailers that were cited for selling to minors. Only two of those retailers had their license revoked. They were only revoked because they were caught three times in a five-year period. So in other words, there's already enforcement of the laws that are on the books right now. Do you need more of that? I'll tell you where I do think we should have some enforcement of the laws. Consider this. I've told you that Multnomah County and King County seem to be counties where lawlessness is not just uh, welcome. It's actually celebrated because the prosecutors in both King County and in Multnomah County, so that's Oregon and Washington, the prosecutors are so unserious that the word has actually spread to the criminal community. And as a piece of evidence to support that, I'll cite this from our friends at the NBC affiliate in Portland, KGW, and Kyle Iboshi, their investigative reporter. He got a hold of a piece of audio from a phone conversation between an accused criminal locked up in jail and a friend who were talking about how the circumstances of being locked up in Washington County much more serious than being arrested in Multnomah County. Listen to how that conversation went. Suspects caught for minor crimes were reacting to the fact that they were not in Multnomah County. Check this out. This is an actual recording of a phone call between a woman being held in the Washington County Jail on theft charges and her boyfriend. You are cited or what? Well, I mean, if, if it was in Multnomah County, like you would have got released already. Duh. So in other words, if you're in Multnomah County, they would have already cut you loose. But because you're in Washington County, you actually get held in custody. So imagine what that does to the criminal element. And then I want to share this with you very quickly. And I'll give Jonathan Cho, who's our good friend from Puget Sound. uh, He went out and looked at what Comcast is doing. Comcast uh, has a big building up in uh, the Seattle area. And they apparently are not crazy about the fact that the uh, the homeless crowd, you know, drug addicts and, and other ne'er-do-wells have set up camp around their building. Now, they have fences around the building. They have razor wire around the building. But now they're trying to get the homeless to leave. Listen to what Jonathan Cho shows that Comcast is trying to do. They're bringing a little class to the homeless class. Take a listen to this. 
For the past few days, it would be the same songs over and over and over and over. The homeless living near Stone Avenue North and 128th Street. Which songs are they playing? It was classical music. Say some really loud music started blaring from the cluster of speakers mounted on the Comcast service building in North Seattle. Hey, Tobin. Dana says a really annoying medley of classical music. How do you sleep with that loud music? I go elsewhere. Was driving everyone nuts at all hours of the day. Music that, that will affect your psyche. The campers believe the cable giant is targeting them for living on the street. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the same speaker that normally plays warnings to trespassers, now blasting tunes. Yeah, and you know what? I think Comcast has it nailed. Because what we have is a situation where lawlessness is allowed. People set up homeless camps. Fires happen at the homeless camps. Shootings happen at the homeless camps. Drug dealing and drug use and drug abuse happen at the homeless camps. And the businesses nearby are saying, we can't tolerate this. And the cities and the counties, both in Oregon and Washington, have said, we're not going to do anything about it. So the private companies are doing what they can legally. Blast out that classical music. And as the young lady who was being interviewed in that by Jonathan Cho said, well, we go elsewhere. And that's exactly what they want you to do. Bravo to Comcast in that case. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network and the Lars Larson Show. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday, and welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm glad to get to your calls, and we'll do that in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about murder. I want to talk about people who've been dying. And, of course, for people on both sides of the Columbia River, both Oregon and Washington have an unbelievable problem with violent crime. I mean, when 14-year-old kids are accused of three armed robberies and less than an hour and suspected in 30 more, you know we've got a problem when the armed robbers are, some of them, 14 years old. And then, of course, Portland, which yesterday I gave the Daily Grill to, because Portland is now, after setting an all-time record for homicide a year ago, has now already set uh, a record breaker for 2022 that eclipses the all-time record that was set in 2021 and we still have more than a month to go before the end of the year so i thought i'd get retired homicide detective cw jensen and he's also a retired police captain but i consider his work in homicide to be the biggest part of his resume cw welcome back lars it's always good to talk to you well, it's, it's good to have you on the program because of your expertise in policing, because we've got 
city government officials who are trying to, I guess, spin the story that they hit a record last year for homicide now are hitting another record already this year. And they say, oh, but but we're making things improve. Is there any way to see this year's results as an improvement over last year or any other year? You know, it's funny that they'd say this with a month to go, you know, based on your track record up there, right? And um, here's the basic problem with the city of Portland government. In the, like, 1980s, they started telling kids, be kind and never judge anybody. Well, there's a lot of people that need to be judged, okay? And they're not, I mean, they they don't do car stops. They don't, probably don't do many people stops. All the things that is police work that keeps a city safe. And it's important to do those things frequently and aggressively because then crooks go, I'm not going to drive the car. It's stolen. I'm not going to do this because this. And they're afraid that they're going to get arrested. Right now, everybody thinks, you know, it's kind of like Vegas odds. I, I could win. I might lose, but I could win. So Portland has to change up the philosophy um, to be aggressive in police work, like we did after 1987, the last prior record year. And like I've told you many times, people have to remember, we had 73 in 1987. Medical technology today is so much more advanced that if it wasn't for today's medicine, Portland would already be at 150. Because what's happening is people get shot but they make it to the hospital quickly. They get into a trauma unit that's that's taking advantage of that golden hour, and they save a lot of the people who would have otherwise died. That's what you're you're telling me, right? Yeah, exactly. So since '87, you've had the Gulf War first, then you had the second Gulf War, and and the other and Iraq and Afghanistan. So these a lot of these ER doctors that I you know bump into and talk to. I mean, they are so much more advanced than they were in 1987. I mean, you'd have people that I had a guy who got stabbed and uh, he was talking one day and we said, oh, we'll be back tomorrow. He was dead the next day from a stab wound. Today, he'd probably be alive. So what do they? Yeah, go ahead. Again, you can't depend on doctors to hold down your homicide rate. That's what the police do. Yeah, and they have to do it, but their attitude toward crime. I mean, it's almost as though uh, you, you, you and I have talked over the years about the broken windows theory. And, and it sounds weird when you say, well, if you go out and take care of the small stuff, you do, as you said, the traffic stops, and you say, we're going to enforce the laws, and there are going to be consequences, whether it's a homicide or a rape at the top end of the scale, or the lesser stuff, you know, ordinary thefts and burglaries and strong-arm robberies, we're going to take care of all of that. When you start dealing with the small stuff, as Rudy Giuliani did in New York City, uh, all of a sudden the big stuff tends to diminish fairly quickly. Well, this is as though... You know, both Portland and Seattle are experimenting with the uh, let's break some windows theory, where if we let people get away with a whole bunch of stuff from the top of the scale to the bottom of the scale, what do you suppose is going to happen? And I, I, and I think the, the outcome is kind of predictable, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you compare, let's say, from 40 years ago in 1982 when I was on the street, I mean, everybody knew if, if, if you're driving like a jerk, or you're doing this or doing that, the cops are going to stop you. And, I mean, down to as simple as, you know, the Portsmouth Club up, Portsmouth and Lombard, used to, we had a hell of a problem there. 
with fights and stuff like that. So within a couple months, everybody was afraid to go in there if they were a minor. Everybody was afraid to get in the fight because they knew the cops were going to come. As simple as that. And now we've got to the point where thefts are not prosecuted, probably um, assaults to some degree. And so it just creates a feeling among people that like to do crime that they can do the crime. And I don't know what the homicide's clearance rate is right now, but, and again, I don't really blame the detectives as much because if you're getting one a month, that's a lot of work. And, um, and, and then, so if you get another one, when you're halfway through the first one, you see how it goes. It just, you just, everything just gets screwed up. And if you take people from other um, details like sex crimes, then those cases aren't being solved. So, Homicide is, you know, gets the headline in the newspaper, but there are people that have been sexually abused in the last couple of years that really got no help. Well, for example, uh, more than a year ago in Seattle, uh, a, 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 a young lady who wrote a memo uh, inside the police department in Seattle saying, look, we've got so few detectives for sex crimes, we're simply not going to investigate unless it involves a child. So if you're an adult female rape victim you're not going to have uh, people assigned to your case and you say what do you mean you're just going to let let the person go yeah in in effect that's the message they're communicating and the crooks are getting it i just played uh for for the show uh, a piece of audio that the nbc affiliate got of a criminal lamenting the fact that his girlfriend had been locked up for a crime in washington county he said if you're in multnomah county you'd already be out they just let people go for that kind of stuff so lest anybody think that the police or the uh, criminals are not aware of this stuff they're very aware of it so where do you think we're going to end up the year that, that we've gone this far and we've already hit the record well, for last year yeah i've been I, i've been going with the vegas over under at a hundred i would say it's going to be right around a hundred because what you get during the holidays is you get the family disturbances. You always get like a handful of daddy kills mommies and stuff like that, or boyfriend kills girlfriend. So you're always going to have a handful of those in the holidays. But then, I mean, everybody's getting shot up. So it just depends where they get hit. And they, and how, how quickly they get to the hospital. That is retired police captain and homicide detective C.W. Jensen. C.W., thanks very much. I appreciate it. Coming up in a moment, I know I'm doing this at the risk of waking up the 420 crowd, but there's a brand new study out. It's a 15-year study, and it says that if you're smoking pot, you've got even more likelihood of getting lung-related diseases, not just cancer, than if you smoke cigarettes. Back in a moment. Weed. You are high as a kite. Pot. I'm not high. Let's go. To <laughs> Cannabis. Hit me. Reaper. Mostly Maui Wowie, man. Also known as marijuana. That weed is really good. Welcome to the Marijuana Minute. I'm hungry. We should cook up some sausages. On the Lars Larson Show. Well, I'm going to take hey, more than a minute. Posters, dude? Because yeah. I want you to consider this. There's a brand new study out about pot. And if you listen to the show, you know my bias. I don't like pot. Uh, have I tried it? Yes. A long, long time ago in high school, once in college, once uh, bored thoroughly. I thought it was a stupid drug. Still think it's a stupid drug. But back then it was still illegal. 
Uh, these days, a growing number of states in the United States has decided to legalize pot, not just for so-called medical uses, which was a scam from the very beginning, and we've talked about that plenty, but also for so-called recreational uses. Even at the time that they were talking about doing the first state legalizations of pot, the question was raised by a lot of people, not just non-pot users, but pot users, uh, is this stuff dangerous? Because we know that cigarettes are dangerous. And I've told my producers that one of the biggest lawsuits that was ever brought, or at least in terms of a uh, the jury award, was a man who worked as a janitor. And he started smoking about the same time, just about a year before the U.S. Surgeon General in the early 1960s came out with an official report that said, we have associated cigarette smoking with an increased risk of cancer. So there's your warning. It's dangerous. And he went ahead and smoked anyway for about 25 years, and then he died. And his family brought a lawsuit, and they convinced a jury. It was later reduced on appeal, but they convinced a jury to award them $88 million because their dad or granddad, in this case, uh, had decided to smoke a legal product that he knew was dangerous, the Surgeon General had said so, and he decided to do it anyway. But it was the tobacco company's fault that he did that. That was the argument they made. As I said, the amount was finally reduced, and I don't remember what it went down to, but initially, a jury said, why, you're entitled to $88 million. We've got a different problem now. There is a growing cry to say, we want this stuff legalized at the federal level. And I keep having people tell me, well, you know, the Congress is going to do this any minute now. Now, the last time I talked to a member of Congress was a few years ago. I said, how many votes are there for legalizing pot? And he told me about 165. Well, if you follow Congress, you understand to pass anything in the House of Representatives, you need 218 votes. And why? Because that is one more than half of the House of Representatives, which is 435. You need 218 votes to pass it, then you take it to the Senate, and you may need 60 votes to overcome uh, debate, cloture, uh, and then you need a majority to pass the darn thing once you've got it up for a vote. Consider this brand new study. It was just published in the peer-reviewed journal called Radiology. In other words, these are the doctors who look at x-rays and uh, CT scans and things like that to determine what's wrong inside of you. And they did the study, it was a long study, from October of 2005 to July of 2020. It was done at the Ottawa Hospital in Canada and all of its affiliate hospitals. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to do a nuts and bolts, apple-to-apple comparison between people who'd never smoked, tobacco smokers, and pot smokers. And so they looked at the chest CT uh, you know, examinations, right? And... What they found was absolutely stunning. As I said, published in the journal Radiology, a peer-reviewed journal, which means when you do a study, they have to send it around to a bunch of people in the same field who read through your study, and they try to you know, find the flaws in it, and they pick out the errors in it. Uh, as the Epic Times reports, the research looked at CT exams October of 05 to July of 2020, a 15-year study. The researchers grouped the examinations based on whether they were a marijuana smoker, a tobacco-only smoker, or a non-smoker. And the study suggests that distinct radiologic findings in the lung may be seen in marijuana smokers, including higher rates of emphysema and airway inflammation changes. Well, how much higher? 
Well, that's where it gets really interesting. The study found higher rates of emphysema among marijuana smokers, 42 out of 56 of them. 75% of the pot smokers showed emphysema. Non-smokers, it was only 3 out of 57. Even among non-smokers, you're going to occasionally have emphysema. That's about 5%. And then you take a look at tobacco smokers. Well, the tobacco smokers also showed higher levels of emphysema but not nearly as high as the pot smokers. And if you think about it for a moment, even if you're not a medical doctor or researcher or scientist, you could say, well, let's see, tobacco has some burn products in it. When you set it on fire and inhale the smoke, you're going to get the stuff that's in the smoke, including tar, including nicotine and things like that. Emphysema was found to be, I'm reading from the story, more common among marijuana smokers, 28 out of 30 or 93% who were 50 years of age or older than the tobacco-only smokers, where the number was 22 out of 33, or about 67%. That's a gigantic difference. 67% for the smokers, 93% for the pot smokers. And check this out. When they looked at the smokers, they said, we don't want somebody who has an occasional cigarette. We want to look at people above the age of 50 who have smoked a minimum of one pack of cigarettes a day for the last 25 years. I mean, those are people who are regular routine smokers. And they said, what about the pot smokers? Well, in that case, it was 1.85 grams. Now, there are 28 grams in an ounce, so we're talking about people who smoke less than 1 14th of one ounce of pot. And they're comparing the two. And I think that sounds like a pretty good apples-to-apples comparison. And what they found was emphysema and a number of other lung ailments are present in the people who are regular pot smokers. And then you get to this question, because this occurs to me. I'm a non-pot smoker, so you could say, well, Lars, you're biased against those of us who enjoy marijuana. Here's the concern I've got. When people smoke cigarettes and then they got sick, and in many cases they died, they sued the tobacco companies and states sued the tobacco companies and said, you owe us money because your product has damaged us. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Well, guess who is the purveyor of pot these days? It's grown by private companies. You're right. There are a whole bunch of them. And I'm willing to bet that most people are not wedded to a single uh, company or brand. Maybe we'll see, you know, companies and brands like Marlboro or Winston or any of those in the pot world. We don't have it just yet. But who signs off on making pot legal? That would be state governments, and at some point, maybe even the U.S. Congress. So when and if these people 
end up as regular pot smokers with emphysema or other kinds of ailments if they've been told it's dangerous, if it's been signed off on by state governments and then by the federal government of the United States, are they going to be able to sue the government and say, you signed off on this stuff, you said it was okay to sell this stuff, you let people do it, and you didn't warn anybody that it was dangerous? Well, tell you what, you've got the warning now. They found it was significantly more common to see lung-related diseases among marijuana smokers 13 out of 34, about 38% than in non-smokers. And that's that's the result. You're going to keep on smoking the weed? Okay, fair warning. It may just screw you up. Glad to have you with me. 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'll be glad to get back to your phone calls and emails shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. But we've got to talk about the open warfare that is going on right now in America over a subject that you might have thought, well, I have the protection of the First Amendment. I've got free speech in this country. The government can't get in the way, except that the government has done exactly that. In fact, right now there's a lawsuit going on involving a former Joe Biden press secretary by the name of Jen Psaki. We think of her as Circleback Jen because she never had any real answers for most of the questions that were asked of her. She's now making a much bigger paycheck in the private sector. She doesn't want to have to testify because there was a time when, on behalf of Joe Biden, she bragged that the White House was working with the social media giants to try to control the flow of information and limit what people had to say and limit what people could actually read. So I think there's a real reason to be concerned about both free speech and the access to information that we have in a society, a republic if you can keep it, as Franklin once said, um, that you have to have an informed public or the republic is simply not capable of sustaining itself. Now, on that note, let me welcome Tristan Justice, who's Western correspondent for The Federalist. Tristan, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me. So Apple, one of the biggest companies in the world, has now stopped advertising on Twitter. Do we know why they did that? Well, we don't. I don't think we'll know for a little bit of time. But they've also, according to Elon Musk, Twitter's new uh, chief executive, uh, Apple is now threatening to, threatening to suspend Twitter from all of its, its iOS platforms, so banning it from the Apple App Store. And it really is the parlor playbook when Apple really used weaponized its backhand, its backdoor uh, pathways of censorship and, and threatened and, and, and threw Parler off the Apple App Store's app Parler, which was a free speech alternative to, to Twitter a year and a half ago, which yep. feels like centuries ago, when Parler refused to, to capitulate and implement the different kind of uh, censorship um, mechanisms that Apple had, demand, had been demanding. And of course, I guess the tie through that I would take is that these bigger social media giants depend very much on the federal government for the kind of protection that they get. Uh, they also depend on the federal government say so, you know, for a big part of what they do as a business. So you can kind of expect that in, in many cases they may do the federal government's bidding. So they censor the, the companies like Parler and Twitter or try to push Twitter and Parler to go one direction or another. And you, you could say, well, if they were working and if they are still working with the federal government, this is just the government using uh, private actors to carry out the kind of censorship that the government is forbidden to do uh, if it follows the First Amendment. 
Well, we've also seen the government really uh, uh, push different items of censorship to protect a certain agenda. Uh, we saw that come through. I think the Hunter Biden laptop is becoming kind of the central focus, the central case study in all of this, where the FBI placed pressure on Facebook, um, which willingly uh, did the FBI's bidding and suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story for an entire week. And, and you had Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, which is the parent company Facebook, go on the Joe Rogan podcast and really admit this year that, yeah, Facebook willingly did the FBI's bidding and suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story um, weeks before a presidential election, contrary to any evidence that what was coming out of the Hunter Biden laptop was, in fact, a Russian disinformation operation. And, of course, I, I don't think Zuckerberg went on voluntarily and, and gave that testimony, uh, uh, you know, I, I just uh, just on, on, on good whim. That came after two, uh, two major groundbreaking whistleblower reports from both Senator Chuck Grassley and Ron Johns' offices outlining FBI malfeasance related to that story. And so uh, we've seen how government can collude with big tech actors and even pressure big tech actors to, uh, like you said, do their own bidding. Well, and does that mean that when Apple, which has a lot of horsepower, they've got a huge market capitalization, they've got a huge bank account, they're, they're not in debt at all, or not unless they choose to be, they've got lots and lots of cash. When they say, we're just going to stop advertising unless Twitter comes into line, uh, then, then they're still doing this kind of activity, and it, and it poses the risk that where the new owner of Twitter, Musk, uh, says, I want to have free speech on there, and he starts allowing uh, you know, actors, uh, you know, meaning people who who want to say things that they were forbidden to say on Twitter, says, I'm going to let them back in and let free speech, you know, that free speech is essential. And I think it is essential that when Apple says, well, we can't let that happen. And they take action against Twitter, knowing that Twitter is advertiser supported, like an awful lot of social media is advertiser supported. Apple may have the horsepower to go out and, and once again, do the government's bidding, tell tell another player that they don't own but that they can influence through their advertising practices, you're going to have to toe the line, uh, the same line that we've been towing for the U.S. government. Should, should citizens be worried about that, Tristan? Well, the backlash against Elon Musk trying to make, you know, create an actual open forum where free dialogue can happen has actually been just as telling as the censorship has been over the last four or five years. Um, you, you have these massive tech giants now recoiling at the idea that Twitter can become a space for uh, this, this free marketplace of ideas as 21st century digital public square. And so, uh, you know, it raises a whole host of questions as, as, uh, about how these other companies have conducted themselves when they don't have such an open hand in censorship. And Apple doesn't have, a, you know, you know, Apple, Apple is not as big a search engine as Google. Apple isn't as big a, a platform hoster as, as Twitter and Facebook where people will post and engage in these discussions. Apple, uh, but what Apple can do is they can manipulate who gets access to their app store and who doesn't, and who gets access to be on their iOS devices and who doesn't. And that is still a massive amount of power. So Apple has a lot of, uh, Apple still has this kind of uh, backdoor avenue of censorship. And so I think Elon Musk was, was right on Monday to raise questions about how Apple has can, conducted itself and still been an engine of left-wing censorship since that's how Silicon Valley tech giants have all continued to operate over the last half decade. Well, Tristan, neither one of us is an attorney, 
But is it legal for a big private company to use its horsepower that way, its cash and everything else, to try to influence? Because it would strike me that there, there are lots of questions legitimately about antitrust activities where one company might like another company to act in a different way. Uh, you know, is, is it legal under the antitrust laws for Apple to go out and do this to Twitter? Well, the truth is, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I know it's definitely something that Congress is trying to address. Congress is looking at there's been bipartisan uh, legislation addressing some of these different issues in tech. You know, the United States is years behind regulating tech. Um, for years, there was kind of a hands-off approach as Silicon Valley continued to grow and actually bring us out of 2008 recession. Um, so the U.S. has kind of been behind on, you know, there's always, there's always these growing pains, these massive new industries. We saw that with the railroad industry. We saw that in industry, you know, we, we saw these captains of industry come out 100 years ago, and, and, and you know, we, we eventually came to regulate them and, 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 and learn how to deal with some of the different, you know, externalities, both good and bad, that come with different industries that come out of, of, of development. Um, and, and tech is just becoming a, a new era um, in that uh, we just, we had this hands-off approach as they grew, and, and, and they built the U.S. Econ- the modern U.S. economy, um, and now we're just, we're now we're just now trying to, to, to catch up with that. And so lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are looking at how do you address these antitrust issues. Democrats are more energized about the protecting uh, privacy and, and, and competition, um, whereas Republicans and conservatives tend to be more worried about uh, censorship and, and yeah. still are, there's concerns about um, you know, fair competition. And so I think there is room for um, uh, substantive uh, legislation on this issue, um, but as to whether it's legal or not, I, I, I can't say. Tristan, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. That is Tristan Justice, the Western correspondent for the Federalists. And let me point this out to you. No matter what you think of Apple, they cut a rather major deal with China, which is a censorship society because the government insists that it be a censorship society. Apple got into a deal worth about a quarter of a trillion dollars, and they did it with the Chinese Communist government. And that government is very open to censorship would they do the same thing to an American public if they thought it might benefit them here? Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Oh, here comes DeSantis Claus, here comes DeSantis Claus, he's the next big thing. The media pretends to like him, his praises they all sing. It makes me sick cause it's a trick to get Trump out of the way. If he beats Don, they'll turn on Ron, they'll support DeSantis no way. Oh, here comes DeSantis Claus, here comes DeSantis Claus, he's got lots of fans. Our rhinos act like they support him, but they've got other plans. They'll try to use him, then abuse him. The goal is ruining Trump. They prefer a wimp like Pence and a Santa's Claus they will dump. We better stick with Trump. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's our great parody guy, Jim Gossett. And you can find all of his songs on our website at LarsLarson.com. And since that was just a little bit of sort of Christmas music, let me add this in. I'll leave the signature off. Lars, just a heads up. 
My wife drives a bus for the Evergreen Public Schools in Vancouver, Washington. They got a memo today that forbids them from playing any Christmas music on the school bus because, quote, they want a safe environment for any kids who don't celebrate Christmas. Drivers, kids, and parents are going to be angry. Why is the school district trying to erase our culture and American history? Well, speaking of erasing culture and erasing history, let me go to Ron Wyden, the senior U.S. senator. Officially, he represents uh, Oregon, even though uh, officially and in fact, he lives in New York City with his wife and his small children. But Ron Wyden was out pushing this marriage act that the Democrats have launched. They want to get it passed during the lame duck session because it was their only opportunity to do that. I want to warn you about the real motivation of what they're doing with this marriage act. They say, oh, this is all about protecting marriage. No, it is about politics and it's about an attack on religion and on people's personal rights. But first, listen to Ron Wyden talking about what this vote is going to do to let you marry the person you love. This vote is an affirmation that the United States Senate will stand up and protect the rights of all Americans to marry the person they love. Well, what right do you have? Because marriage is not mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. Do you know what this is really about? I'll tell you. Ron Wyden, who's a tried-and-true Democrat, has been around and never worked an actual job in the private sector in his entire life, has become a multi-multi-millionaire as a result of serving in the House of Representatives and in the Senate and in other government jobs for his entire working life. What is this really about? He wants to make a federal law for gay marriage. And let me tell you why we should not. I don't think there is anything in the Constitution that gives a right to marriage. In fact, the Constitution doesn't mention marriage. And let me tell you that the state of Oregon, at least, had a vote. And the vote was 18 years ago in 2004, not all that long ago. And citizens were asked, do you want to legalize uh, gay marriage or do you want to define marriage as a man and a woman? The end result, even in a liberal blue state like Oregon, was 57% no and 43% yes. A difference of 14 percentage points. Those are the voters that the senior senator from the great state of New York and Manhattan allegedly represents in the state of Oregon. So he wants to make this law. Listen to what Ron Wyden says about what he wants the law to do. Although this is about codifying rights, that same-sex couples already enjoy, this is an important step in a long-running battle for equality. Now, I think that's hogwash. What this is about is a law that will allow people to attack, and you've seen the attacks yourself. You saw the attack on Masterpiece Cake Shop in Denver. You saw the attack on uh, the young lady who runs the flower shop in the Tri-Cities of the Pacific Northwest. You saw the attacks on bakeries who are told you must make a cake for a lesbian wedding, even if that offends your personal, closely held religious beliefs. You must do it because the law says you must do it. Now, that is the government telling people how they may speak. I understand that the First Amendment, for the most part, is a prohibition on the government prohibiting speech. But the other court decisions that have come over the decades have also said not only can the government not stop you from speaking unless you're doing something that is threatening or causes public alarm or a riot, you can't incite to riot. But other than that, free speech in this country is allowed. 
What is also disallowed is for the government to tell citizens, you must say this or you must say that. That's the essence of all of those cases. The photographers, the cake shops, the flower shops, and the rest. They're being told that under the law, the government says you must take your personal religious beliefs and set them aside. And we will tell you how you're allowed to speak. And if you think I'm exaggerating, the Sweet Cakes bakery shop involved exactly that. The people who ran that store were told not only are we going to fine you tens of thousands of dollars for refusing to make a cake for a wedding, which at the time was not even a legal wedding under state law, uh, but we're also going to tell you that if anybody else walks in and asks you about making a cake for a gay wedding, depending on what you tell them, we may have to fine you again and again and again. That was the threat that was laid down. Now, if anybody thinks that's in keeping with the First Amendment of the Constitution, I'd be glad to hear it. But in the meantime, tell the Democrats, no, we do not need to codify this into federal law, no matter how much they're concerned about what the Supreme Court might do in the years ahead. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that... Whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I know that a lot of politicians would like to tell you a lie, and they'd like to say, well, no, of course we have not legalized hard drugs here in the Pacific Northwest. I call that a lie because I think we have effectively legalized hard drugs in the Northwest. Now, you say, what's the difference between effectively doing it and actually doing it? Well, there's about a gnat's eyebrow, eyelash uh, difference between fully legalizing hard drugs like heroin and cocaine and methamphetamine and fentanyl and everything else and what they've actually done because they can say, well, officially they're still illegal, although you really couldn't tell that they're illegal based on how Oregon and Washington are acting right now. And the state of Washington in particular has a deadline to make a decision between now and July the state must decide, do we make drug possession a crime at all in the state? And I thought we'd ask Senator John Brown about that. Uh, Senator, it's good to have you back on the program. Um, this, this is a crazy situation that Oregon, through a citizen vote, legalized hard drugs. Washington state has effectively done it because the state Supreme Court struck down the longstanding state law that made illegal drug possession a felony and knocked it down to where it's effectively legalized at this point, is it not? That's, that's right, Lars. The Blake decision uh, for, did actually make possession of hard drugs legal, and then uh, the Democratic majorities in the, in the legislature passed a bill to address that terrible decision in 2021, which, for all practical purposes, reinforcement. Technically, it's a misdemeanor, uh, but because a misdemeanor uh, is is difficult to enforce. It only is 30 to 90 days. Uh, most jurisdictions, in fact, nearly every jurisdiction, you know, conservative and liberal in the state of Washington is not enforcing it. Not only that, even before they enforce it, they're required to give what's called a referral, which uh, that's a whole other discussion. But essentially, it's the police officer, law enforcement officer, you know, if they find someone with hard drugs, 
they can't arrest them. They have to give them uh, directions to the nearest you know area to get services, which, as you can imagine, is not super effective in helping these folks and getting them off their addiction. No, and in fact, I'll use Oregon as an example. Last year, the police wrote something like sixteen or 17,000 tickets because it was reduced to a violation. And they were required to tell the person, this is a $100 ticket that you have to pay unless you call this 800 number and have a conversation. Let them offer you treatment. You can say no, and then you don't even have to pay the ticket. So the ticket is a piece of waste paper in Washington State if they catch you with hard drugs once and they offer you uh, directions to treatment, a phone number or an address, and then they catch you a second time uh, and, and offer you, again, chance of treatment. Then if they catch you a third time, only then does it become a misdemeanor. Except if the police are told you can't really do anything with anybody with hard drugs, why would they even bother with the first two, with, with citing the person or, or telling the person you should call this number and talk to them about treatment or services? They're probably not doing it at all. In Oregon, they wrote something like 17,000 tickets, and not a single person went into treatment as a result. That's right. Um, so uh, these referrals, and when they were invented by the, the current majorities, no, the police, police officers didn't even know what they meant. There's no way to track them. So, as you say, they have to do it legally. They have to offer two referrals, but there's no system to track it. Uh, there's no way of knowing they, they catch someone with hard drugs. There's no way of knowing if they've had one referral, two referrals, a dozen referrals. So, for all practical purposes, there is, there's no way to enforce the possession of drugs. And here's the important thing. Here's why it really matters. This isn't about, you know, necessarily the old war on drugs where we're going to put everybody in jail. This is about getting people to treatment and keeping them in treatment. This is about saving their lives. Here's the reality. Even before all this, the only pe reason people were in, in jail, in prison for hard drugs is either they were dealing or the law enforcement was trying to keep them alive. Right now, we're not even trying to keep them alive. And it's, just, it's, it's, it's very discouraging. All right. So, Senator Brown... Tell me this, this July deadline, describe why July is the drop-dead deadline for this and describe what you think is going to happen in Olympia next or early next year. Well, the way the bill was written in 2021, it basically said if nothing is done before this July deadline, we go back to the Blake decision, which did, in fact, make the possession of hard drugs completely legal. So, there's, so the folks who want to do that, they know. If they just hold their breath long enough, they're going to get what they want because the law already goes their way if nothing is done. Now, I think we're building momentum here. Uh, there's folks, uh, I think, some folks on the other side of the aisle that understand this has been a disaster. This is not a this is this is not good for the state of Washington right now. If you're under 50 in the state of Washington, you're more likely to draw, die from a drug overdose than any other cause. This is a disaster, a disaster, a health disaster, and I think they're starting to realize that. So I am a little bit optimistic that we can put together a coalition from both sides of the aisle that will pass a bill that will give law enforcement and prosecutors some leverage to get people into treatment and save their lives. Well, and let me advance a theory to you, Senator, and you tell me if, I, if you think I'm right or wrong. I've been told by the FBI that about two-thirds of all the murders in Oregon and Washington are happening because of gang activity. Now, this isn't gangs selling furniture or used cars. They sell drugs. So a lot of the disputes that leave neighborhoods littered with shell casings and you know, people getting shot uh, you know, in this way are getting shot 
by people who are in the illegal drug business. So it's not just a threat that somebody overdoses from fentanyl or their kid takes heroin and dies of an overdose. It also means that even if you have no connection to it at all, if your neighborhood gets shot up and you happen to catch one of the rounds that gets thrown around by these gangbangers, it's because of drugs. I mean, the the end result is because of the drugs that are at the center of all this. Would you agree? I, I do agree. And it's, it's whether it's, it's violent crime, as you describe, or property crime, a whole bunch of the crime surge we've seen uh, in the last two years is being driven by drug activity, whether it's gang-related or folks trying to support their, their addiction through different forms of property crime. It's all driving up the crime across, uh, across our state and I think across the Northwest. All right. So what do we do about it? I mean, do you have the votes? And if the Democrats are going to vote no against it, what are they going to tell the public about why they're voting down some kind of serious treatment of, of, of hard drugs? So I know we have uh, 20 votes on, on our side of the aisle to do something about this. I am, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm optimistic we're going to find votes on the other side, but it's no sure thing yet. So we have to keep pressure on that. Make people Make sure folks understand it. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. They sit idle on this. If they don't do something that puts, you know, puts things back uh, in balance, allows law enforcement and prosecutors to, to go after these issues and hold people accountable, get them into treatment. If they don't do that, uh, we're going to have more deaths because of overdose. We're going to have more crime, whether it's violent or, or nonviolent crime, because of drug activity. And they're going to bear the responsibility for that. Yeah. Which I I don't know. I I would love to get a Democrat on the show, Senator Brown, and uh, and ask them about this. Unfortunately, there aren't any Democrats out there who've got a backbone willing to actually take some tough questions and say, are you going to solve this problem? Senator John Brown uh, from Washington State's legislature will be back in a moment. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails in just a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Now, you know, it's been a while since we've talked to Natalie Winters. Uh, she's a journalist, but she has broken a rather major story that I suspect you are not going to hear about in mainstream media. We don't have her today, uh, but we'd hope to get her in the days ahead. Uh, The banking platform that was set up specifically for illegal aliens, and apparently Joe Biden and his son were both involved because of that, uh, E. E Plata. 
which is a digital banking platform partnered with the Mexican government to enable migrants, as they call them, illegal aliens, to send and receive remittances. They apparently have deep financial and personal ties to Hunter Biden. The fintech startup describes itself as a multi-balance, multi-currency, digital wallet, and payment ecosystem. It was founded by one of Hunter Biden's longtime business partners, Jeff Cooper. But Hunter Biden, now there are brand new documents out, uh, unearthed by Natalie Winters, uh, that reveal the son, the president's son, had an eight and a quarter percent stake in E Plata through his company, that's Owasco LLC, which apparently Joe Biden is connected to as well. Emails obtained from Hunter Biden's hard drive prove that the president's son was profiting off E Plata, which, if you connect the dots, having an open border. Uh, put there by Joe Biden after he became president less than two years ago, has meant almost five million people have managed to cross the border illegally into the United States. And having a platform for transferring money to them, that could come in awfully handy. Also in the criminal justice area, consider this, the report from the Daily Mail that in California, thousands of convicted pedophiles So I'm not talking about cases that you've never heard of. I'm talking about cases where people are formally accused in the judicial system of being involved in rape, sodomy, and sexual abuse of kids under the age of 14. Thousands of people. Uh, Daily Mail did an analysis of California sex offenders database that shows that thousands of child molesters are being let out of prison after just a few months in custody. Months in custody. The Daily Mail's investigation shows 7,000 sex offenders were convicted of lewd and lascivious acts with a child under 14. They were released the same year that they were convicted. Others who had committed some of the worst child sex crimes, including sodomy and rape of children, also served similarly short sentences. Current and former Los Angeles sex crime, crime prosecutors say the figures are terrifying and shameful. They are turning these pedophiles loose after almost no punishment at all. And you can imagine when the word gets around about that, that there's really no consequence for committing those crimes against children, you get more of it. To your calls now, let's start with Kathy. Hey, Kathy, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Well, this marriage thing, I I think they're confused because they're always sticking someone black, which I am, in the, you know, first it was just the homosexuals. They compared blacks to homosexuals. Now they're having interracial marriage, again, which includes blacks. But when they do interracial marriage, I don't know if they figured out that's between a man and a woman. Yes. You know, as far as... Well, are you saying that, that advocates, advocates for gay marriage are saying why this is just like the so-called anti-misignation laws from decades and decades ago? Where, the, where laws in various states in America said uh, bl- uh, people of color could not marry white people in this country. Those laws were dealt with a long time ago. But, it, you know, the gay community has said we want to latch our cause onto the civil rights cause of black Americans who said we want the freedom to marry anyone we want. But that was a marriage between a man and a woman, uh, not a gay yes, marriage. But it's still, yes, it's still between a man and a woman. And that seems to get lost in the translation. It does. And so that it just irritates me to no end that any time somebody who is on the fringe, when they know that as a rule, the black community believes in marriage and, you know, they 
degraded it by, you know, um, kicking the men out of the house with with DSHS. You know, we don't have to do anything. We just get the men out of the house and giving the the idea that men aren't important in the family. And then we have all this mess, and since we started stirring the pot there, there, then we'll stir the pot somewhere else. And so it's just very irritating to me. It's irritating, I think, to all of us who believe in what marriage is. And when I heard Senator Ron Wyden, who's pushing this so-called marriage equality bill, which they, I guess, are planning to vote on as soon as they possibly can during the lame duck session of Congress, uh, they they want to get it past the Senate, get it past the House. And why? Because they're afraid that the U.S. Supreme Court will say about the gay marriage decision, the Obergfell decision, yeah, you're right, there's no marriage mention of marriage in the U.S. Constitution, so there's no right to marriage in the in, of any kind. And But here's the weirdest argument that Wyden makes, and I hear it all the time, why anybody should be able to marry anybody based on love. Well, Kathy... Uh, marriage has been an exclusive in human history. I mean, not just in U.S. history, in human history has been an exclusively heterosexual thing for most of the last 6,000 years. And you can document that pretty easily. And you say, well, no, anybody should be able to get married to anybody. You say, hold on. How about cousins? Well, not cousins. Well, how about a 12 year old girl? No, no, no. There's got to be an age limit. Uh, well, can you marry more than one person? Can can a wife have more than one husband? Can a husband have more than one wife? There are cultures on earth that have that. And you say, no. So the very same people who will tell you why anybody should be able to marry anybody, and it's all based on love, will in the next breath say, but there have to be age limits. There have to be limits. You have to get a, an official state license to get married, something that's always irritated me. Um, you know, I'm married to Tina. We have a license. Why? Because this, the government got involved in marriage about 150 years ago. That was the first time that the government was involved in marriage. And you know what's happened? The institution has been torn apart for the last 150 years because the government got involved. And I argued 25 years ago, I kept saying to conservatives, will you just please tell the government to get out of marriage altogether? And they said, no, the government has to be involved. I said, well, the government wasn't involved in marriage for the first 6,000 years. And they say, yeah, yeah, but you have to have the government. And I say, why? And they'll say, well, to test for disease. Now that went away decades ago. They don't do that anymore. I don't know of a single state they used to test people for venereal disease and things like that. They don't do that anymore. You say, well, why does the government have to be involved? Well, be- because of children. I said, do you don't know single people in this country who have kids where there's a, ch- a parenting plan uh, where the state has gotten involved in deciding who's going to be the parent most of the time and who's not? That, that happens whether you're married or not. If you ask somebody for a good reason why the government should be involved in marriage, most people can't come up with a single good reason to have the government involved in marriage. And I can come up with a good reason to have them not involved in marriage And that is that ever since the government stuck its nose into a human institution that has been present in every single human culture for around 6,000 years, if not longer, ever since the government got involved, they started tearing marriage apart and using it as a political football. I wish the government would get out of marriage altogether. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails in just a bit. 
But first, I want to talk about what's going on in China. Over the weekend, over the Thanksgiving weekend, there was uh, there were some big developments in China, and I kind of uh, shorthanded them yesterday. I said the Chinese government has gone for a goal of what it calls zero COVID, which I don't think is achievable, not in the United States with a population of about uh, 340 or 350 million people, certainly not in a country <clears throat> as big and as populated as China with 1.4 billion people in it. I don't think it's possible. But the Chinese government has done some crazy things, including literally welding the doors to apartment buildings to prevent people from leaving the building unless authorized and telling people you're going to be stuck in your building or in your workplace uh, if we lock a city down. Well, they did that. One of the buildings caught fire, a big high rise, and at least 10 people died in that fire. And that tipped off a number of protests in about 20 different Chinese provinces, something I'd never seen before. So I thought we'd get Jake Werner on, who's a research fellow with the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. Jake, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. So these protests that are going on in China, do they have any uh, likelihood that they're going to bring about any kind of significant change in the communist government when there are people in the streets shouting down with the Communist Party or out with the Communist Party and down with Xi Jinping? It, it, I think it's too early to tell at this point. Um, it, the protests are quite widespread. They, they're taking place in major cities around the country. That is extremely, extremely unusual. Um, protests are actually fairly common in China, but they're, they're generally very localized. So for people to be protesting um, on the same issue across the country, and in particular an issue that is a signature issue of uh, the president, Xi Jinping, um, that is, is really unprecedented uh, in, in recent decades. Um, but they're not yet, they haven't yet sort of swept all of society up into them. Um, and so there's no immediate threat to the government, but, but this is, you know, a rapidly developing story. We have to we have to wait and see uh, what direction it goes, if they peter out or if they get bigger and bigger. Well, and Jake, I've I've seen reports out of China that say the Chinese government is taking this seriously. They've begun some pretty tough crackdowns to try to stop these protests. Am I right? Uh, it, I, you know, in the context of, of a highly repressive government like China's, I would say the response thus far has been fairly cautious. So they've, they've put a significant police presence wherever, uh, wherever protests pop up. Um, but they haven't gone around, uh, beating people or, uh, sort of like carting off all the protesters all at once. It's been a relatively limited, uh, response thus far. Um, but, uh, again, depending on the course of the protests, I, I would expect significantly increased repression if the protests uh, get uh, significantly bigger. And you mentioned that these are going on in, uh, I said, 20 provinces. That was the count I had seen. But there's a question that wouldn't even occur to most Americans to ask, and that is, how are these all being coordinated? But in a, in a country like China, where the Internet is to some extent uh, you know, uh, curtailed or, or limited by the government and your use of it to communicate either messages or communicate uh, information around that country is somewhat limited by the government. Um, are they able to coordinate these activities in, in all these different cities? Uh, uh, coordinated in the, in the same sense that, that protests around the world have been coordinated in a very decentralized and sort of spontaneous way um, in, in recent decades. Uh, in the sense that people people are able to 
uh, communicate with each other over the internet. Uh, they, there are various ways of getting around the sensors. Um, uh, it's difficult, but it's sort of a cat and mouse game, and the sensors will always take a little bit to catch up. So people can can spread information around and uh, can all be inspired uh, by what people are doing. For example, one one protest technique is that people have been gathering, holding up blank sheets of paper to indicate uh, the fact that they're not allowed to say anything uh, in, in a repressive society like China. Um, so so people are sort of imitating, taking taking hold of the, the techniques and, and, the, and the signals that, that they're seeing elsewhere. Um, uh, and, and But I think maybe more importantly is that uh, just the sense of discontent is quite widespread. And so, so me, the, the coordinating mechanism at some level is just that they, they, they are all feeling frustration at, at the policies of the government. Yeah, and, and they've really been under a, a much more draconian measures over the last two years than even the United States has been, correct? Oh, yes. Oh, much, much more. It's, it's, it's hard to, you know, as, as you said, people, people are being forcibly locked in their apartments. Um, entire, like, if you come into very brief contact with uh, someone who is infectious, then then you will be confined for two weeks, um, and and this has affected millions and millions of people. Um, so it it was actually very effective and and generated a lot of popular support at first. Um, the problem is the the Omicron variant of COVID is far far more transmissible, and uh, it has started to get out of control. So now it's affecting way way more people than previously when when infections were effectively kept under control and it affected only a small number of people. Um, and, and, and it's really affecting the economy as well. So this is, this is hurting people's livelihoods in addition to, uh, to, to keeping them confined in their homes often for weeks on end. All right. Now, I'm talking to Jake Warner from the Quincy Institute. Is there a proper role for the U.S. government in the form of, I, I would go to Joe Biden first and say, should our president be saying something about these people demanding down with the Chinese communist government and, and we want our freedom, we want to be able to speak, should the U.S. president be saying something about this? Um, I, you know, I think that the United States is, is, is kind of in an awkward position here. Um, uh, Biden has made uh, democracy versus authoritarianism the framework for his foreign policy. But he's also pursued a number of measures uh, that, that restrict Chinese economic growth, um, that, that threaten China militarily. And so the Chinese government turns to the Chinese people and says, if you're with the United States, then you're against China. And that has a lot of traction because there are a lot of people in China who, who think that that, that, is, that has credence. So if, if Biden comes out and really full-throatedly supports the demand to overthrow Xi Jinping, which has, has been heard uh, in a few of the protests, um, uh, that, that runs the risk of discrediting the protesters in China amongst Chinese people and limiting the ability for them to expand. So it's, it's an awkward position. So far, the White House has said that they support the principle of uh, freedom of expression and freedom uh, to, to, to gather and protest. They've said that they're doubtful that the zero COVID policy will be effective. Um, I think that is probably it's, it's been a cautious response, but I think that's probably wise under the circumstances. You know, you mentioned that it was somewhat effective, this, you know, zero covid and we're going to lock cities down. And, and the very quick way in which they've done this to, to the point where some workers actually got trapped in their workplaces and were told you can't even go home during a lockdown. Uh, something we didn't even see here uh, in, in any you know, any way that I saw it in the United States during the last two years. Um, 
But but has China done much better in controlling uh, an epidemic or a pandemic, uh, you know, by by using these draconian measures? Because from the outside, it doesn't look like they're doing much better than anybody, anybody anywhere else in the world. They, they have done better overall. Um, the the death rate is minuscule compared to the death rate in other countries. Only about 6000 people have died in China versus Ac- well, according to the, the official States, government numbers. Right. Yeah, I, the the official numbers I, I think are, are are reliable at least in scale, right? It's not it's not going to be like a thousand times bigger. Um, so there's no question that the death rate has been much lower, the infection rate has been much lower. Um, the the issue, however, is that with the more transmissible variants, uh, this this strategy is going to be increasingly difficult to maintain, and the Chinese government has not effectively vaccinated the population. So that that leaves, in particular, uh, a huge number of elderly people who are not vaccinated. It leaves them very vulnerable. It sounds like it. Jake, thank you very much. That's Jake Warner, a research fellow at the Quincy Institute. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network and Oath Keepers Conviction for Seditious Conspiracy up next. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And this segment of the show is always brought to you by Valhalla Tea, a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. And our Twitter poll question today, if you want to answer it, there are two places to find it, at Lars Larson Show uh, on on Twitter. And then, of course, on our website at LarsLarson.com. Should private companies use legal means, things like music, to drive the home? homeless away from their business locations. Uh, I played for you a piece of sound that came from our friend Jonathan Cho, who up in Puget Sound keeps an eye on things that the mainstream media isn't spending as much time on. He, he pointed out that Comcast at one of its big locations, not one of the retail locations for the big cable giant, but no, one of its other buildings, they're actually playing very loud classical music outside from speakers. And the homeless people who set up their tent encampments around the building are saying, this is this makes it hard to sleep. We may have to go somewhere else. Exactly. That is exactly the idea. And frankly, I don't have a problem with that idea. I'm glad to see that some of the businesses have decided to take action on their own. And I'll tell you why. Because taking that action is about their only port in a storm. Because what's happening right now is that Seattle and Portland, to a greater extent, uh, the smaller cities in the Northwest, like the Tri-Cities and Spokane and Eugene and Salem and Medford, uh, to a lesser extent, have become lawless places. In fact, I was just looking at some statistics on robbery, on car theft, on assault, uh, on vandalism. Those numbers have gone up hugely in just the last two years. So when private companies are literally being forced to close up shop, I told you about one of those cases yesterday, where they just close the doors and put a note on the door that says, we are moving our entire company. And in many cases, they're not just moving out of a city. They're moving out of the state. They're moving out of the region because cities in the Northwest in particular have become lawless places. So... Should private companies use whatever legal means they have, music might be one of them, private security might be one of them, to drive the homeless away, to do the things that the local governments have just steadfastly refused to do. In fact, if anything, between Portland and Multnomah County and Seattle and King County, they are shoveling out 
on the order of half a billion dollars every year. Half a billion dollars every year. And all of the services that they offer to the so-called homeless, who, as Eric Johnson pointed out in that documentary, Seattle is Dying, most of them are drug addicts who are squatting on the streets. There are a few sympathetic cases among the homeless, but the vast majority are simply substance addicts. They're addicted to booze. They're addicted to various kinds of illegal hard drugs. And it didn't make it any better that both Oregon and Washington have effectively legalized hard drugs. Although I did get an email from a gentleman who said, you got to stop this stuff about de facto legalization. What does that mean? What it means is when something is still officially illegal, but the law is not enforced, there is no real penalty, even though officially on the books it's against the rules. But in practical terms, you can go ahead and possess hard drugs, use hard drugs, buy hard drugs, sell hard drugs, and there is no consequence. When there is no consequence, that's what I call de facto legalization. This gentleman apparently didn't like the fact that I was calling it that. But what other thing would you say if you said, well, is is it legal or not? Let me give you, I think, a simple example that all of us may have experienced. If you drive a car in Oregon or Washington or Idaho and somebody says, well, the speed limit says 60 and you're going 65. And you say to somebody who's perhaps uninformed, uh, yeah, 65, you can usually go five over the limit. If that person was inquiring of you and said, well, hold on, where does it say in the law that you can go five miles an hour above the speed limit and not be stopped and written a ticket for speeding? You'd then be forced to uh, explain to this person, well, officially, if the, if the sign says 60 miles an hour, you have to go 60 miles an hour or less. But the practical effect, the de facto effect, is that you can get away with 65. And the police, I've even had cops tell me, I'm not pulling somebody over for five or less over the speed limit. You say, is that a law? No, it's not a law. I mean, if somebody were to ask you, is it officially legal to go 65 in a 60-mile-an-hour zone? You'd say, no, it's not. And if you say, but I notice everybody's going about 65 in a 60-mile-an-hour zone. Yes, that's what we call de facto legalization. If officially the limit is 60, but unofficially you can do 65, you're not going to be stopped, you're not going to be written a ticket. And I know I'll probably get at least one or two people saying, well, I got a ticket for going 61 in a 60. Yeah, probably some enthusiastic brand new cop. I also wanted to mention this, Stuart Rhodes, who is the head of a group called Oath Keepers. Uh, he is one of the half dozen cases that the uh, Biden DOJ brought for what's called seditious conspiracy. In other words, an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. He, just within the last couple of hours, has been found guilty of seditious conspiracy for his role in the riots on January 6th of last year. The Justice Department has been pursuing this. They very rarely bring any cases involving seditious conspiracy, but they've got a guilty finding in the case of Stuart Rhodes. That may mean some bad things for people like Enrique Terrio and others uh, from other organizations, but I'll point something out to you. When the Biden DOJ brought charges against Stuart Rhodes and others, they didn't even mention Donald Trump as an unindicted co-conspirator, 
conspirator because their whole theory of the crime is that Donald Trump was never involved in that conspiracy. And you've got the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.